0: Welcome to the Whiskey, Jazz, and Leadership Podcast. Subscribe now so you don't miss a drop of straight talk you can't get anywhere else. We discuss the whiskeys to drink, music to listen to, and what it really takes to be an effective leader. I'm your host, Galen Bingham, the leadership strategist. Tonight's guest, three time winner of Becker's 40 Under 40 Hospital Executives Rising Stars and president. Of SSM Health, Cardinal Glennon Children's Hospital, Stephen Burkhart. Hey, what you drink? You know, I see a lot of people in this current generation who are willing to do and take chances and take risks. And if something doesn't feel right to them, they're not afraid to look for something else. And that is foreign to my generation. That was something I had to get used to, but you know, I, I think that they might have something, right? That it has to, in the first episode for, this, for uh, season two, Rada Jovovich talked about how you create something is what you create if you are creating something with a bunch of anguish, then you can't produce something good. That has really, really captured me. And so how much focus do you put into, or how much attention do you put into the culture that you happen to be creating? Because I I, I, I believe that Mr. Drucker was only half right when he said, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Uh, I think he just didn't go far enough. I think if he were living today, he would say that culture eats strategy for breakfast,
1: lunch, dinner, midnight snack. Yeah, I've heard you say that before, and I, I, I agree. You know? um, and before I leave the generation thing, you know, one of the things that when you had your, uh, your producer reflect on what she heard, I just thought that was brilliant. What you gave the, the power over to her to share what she actually heard, right? So we all feel like we listen to these conversations and we pick what we pick. Um, it was so great to hear a different sort of generational understanding of what you're getting from some amazing power brokers that you've had on this podcast. It's daunting to even think of, of trying to be here or given who you've had on, and I just loved what resonated with her, and I thought it was insightful for her as we lead these these other folks too. But yeah, on culture, you know, I think for us as a nonprofit, and you know, we're in healthcare. I mean, we are touching lives at folks' most vulnerable moment with a special attention for the most vulnerable of these that's deep you know that's you got to really want to do that work be willing to do it stand in it even when it gets tough and so a lot of the cultures predetermined by who chooses to be there uh, but the other thing i love is our sisters were really uh, that one of their charisms was presence which is such a simple idea and even in all uh, you know any biblical orientation i never really picked up on presence as something that i was inspired by so I first heard that, I, you know, I was curious about it, I didn't really understand it, but I see it now. And when you think about culture, it's often just reminding people of why they came and the power that their presence has in the lives of these individuals, both personally themselves as a physical presence, but an inspirational or spiritual presence, right? A soulful presence in the lives of people who need them most. Um, and a lot of folks don't think they need it either, right? I mean, that's the other piece of this puzzle. There's folks that come willing to to participate, and there's those that are kind of the opposite. So um, to how they arrive to each of those situations personally, to be present with that person and meet them where they are is just so inspiring. But I feel like when you think about Glennon and the Cardinal Glennon factor, people talk about the Glennon factor. It is real, and it has to do with the origins and roots of how the organization was founded, who has felt called to join it. And how they have chosen to be present to patients and families for now, 60 years almost, right? It's really, really a special organization. We are just stewards. You know, even Doug Reese. Doug Reese was there 30 plus years, ran the hospital more than 25 years. Even Doug would tell you he was merely a servant to this higher calling. So anyone that shows up to a place like that, I feel like is, um, they're showing up to the right place. And then they're challenged to be the right person for it, right? And if they're not, then just like any organization, if they really want it to be about the money or something else, then they'll find their way to that, that job instead.
0: Yeah. So, Stephen, let's talk, let's talk about that because I'm, I'm sure this has happened where the mission is so central to why the organization is there. Have you ever experienced someone who was really, really good technically at their job? whatever whatever it was, I mean, they could have been the best accountant on the planet. They could have been the best fundraiser that you've ever seen. But at the end of the day, deep down, they didn't really buy into the mission. And, and you had to make a, a call between, do I keep the technical skills or do I reinforce the mission? Because I I have said that values have to have ramifications if someone steps outside of them. Because if there are no ramifications for people stepping outside of the values, then you really don't have values. You just have aspirations. So have there been times when the mission, the cause wasn't as strong for the individual and the right thing to do uh, was to make them available to find that place where they could be more fully
1: happy? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It started with me. I mean, let's, let's be honest. I mean, just do I understand presence? Do I understand the true depth of history for the organization I'm in? I remember when I showed up, someone told me that uh, they were still learning the organization. They'd only been there three years. And I was a turnaround operational person. So you can imagine my reaction to that was, you kidding me? I mean, come on. You know, th- if you don't know it now, then when are you going to get to know it? But I have so much respect for that person's point of view and they, the humility. And I didn't see that at first, right? So it really, honestly, I had to break myself down in some real important ways to be ready as best as I can be for Cardinal Glennon and, and the team that's there. To your point, I mean, yeah, sure. There's, there's decisions, that, like you said earlier, uh, for-profit, nonprofit. those decisions often are made by the individual themselves. You know, often people are like, I don't like to have to. Deal with difficult conversations and performance, or terminate someone, and it's no joke that most of the time folks are making their own decision and 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 often they don't want to be in that situation you know so if you come at it from well, how can I help this person find what they're really wanting to do? Uh, you know it doesn't have to be adversarial, hopefully, right um, I find that's really, really rare and and I've also seen more where people are like me that the journey of realization for the depth of what they're there to do takes time. And so who they are in the first couple months or year on that job, you got to give them space to evolve. You know, you can't predetermine the result. Human beings are not static. They're not linear. I hope we create space for people to, to learn, you know, and a, a lot of that's coming out now, right? Diversity, equity, and inclusion, and people needing to be uncomfortable. And one of the things I love hearing is, um, just not prejudging that person and just understanding they're going to make mistakes. And I think that's huge, right? But It's the same in just leadership performance, being a culture fit. You know, I feel like I'm a better fit now than I was years ago. Right. So yeah, I think it really did start with me, right. It it is a challenging place to be your best because people there are amazing. And if you don't come at it that way, then you're, you know, you're going to struggle and you're just not going to be who that place needs.
0: It is definitely an evolution. And uh, one of the things that uh, I have admired about you from a distance and quietly is how you have given yourself grace, enough grace to evolve. Because on the surface, I mean, again, I'll talk a little bit more about, uh, about the nonprofit side of, of the operation, because that's what I'm most intimately familiar with. You've got some pretty heavy hitters on the board of the nonprofit side. I mean, these are senior vice presidents, these are CEOs, uh, these are corporate mavens, attorneys. I mean, just from the outside, could be some pretty strong egos. But for some reason, you know, all of us have demanding schedules, but for some reason, once we come inside that room, I don't know that I've ever experienced an ego. I don't know that I've ever seen anyone slam their hand on on the table and say, this is what it needs to be because I've done this for 15 years. I don't know that I've ever seen that. What is it about this mission, this, this calling, this cause that causes everyone to offer whatever they can, whenever they can, even if it means rearranging their schedule
1: in order to be available for something that they're not getting paid for? Yeah I think uh what's the most powerful commodity in any any relationship one of them is hope. When you think about what a children's hospital does it's all about creating capacity and hope, right? For for again kids in the most vulnerable circumstances, families in the most vulnerable circumstances and um and often with a special attention to those who need us the most. I think those folks show up cuz they they want to help that. And and some people may not even know why, right? I mean I think for a while and, and maybe it's still true. I d I don't know. I'm not a local St. Louis guy, but you know, I think Glennon was the board to be on, right? If you want to evolve your career as an executive in St. Louis, then getting on our board was was the thing to do. And so maybe people did fill the resume a, a little bit. But you've seen it. Folks are there 20 plus years, right? Once you're there, I think you get to understand it a little better. And all that ego, it's it's gotta be checked at the door. The other thing I'll say. You know, hospitals have doctors. Doctors self govern. So I think one of the things that's not well understood is that the physicians actually govern themselves. Because, you know, I'm not in a position to judge the quality of clinical care offered by a specialist, nor is a general internist or a general pediatrician, right? They can't really understand the quality of care provided by a general surgeon. So that's an entire universe also unto itself. And those individuals, with all the power of training and expertise they have, have to also find their own path into that mission, right? 11, 13 plus years of training sometimes. uh, You can imagine there's 150 or 200 of these people in the entire country who do what they do for a living. You know, how do you tell that person if they're good or bad or what to do, right? So I think between our board and like you said, you know, I got some senior executives and old and new folks of St. Louis, but just likewise, you got physicians, right? Nurses have been there 30 years, and they're all power brokers in their own way. And I like to think that people just have respect for what everyone brings to the table. And we had a heart surgeon retire after 35 years of service. That man could have made more. I mean, brilliant, right? He couldn't be smarter, technically gifted, can communicate like a legendary CEO of a big corporation. Like This guy could go make gobs of money doing whatever. If it were about money, he would have done it, right? Instead, 35 years he's operating on neonatal kids for 4,000 surgeries. I mean, just what a profound gift to humanity he is, right? He trained additional physicians, right? Imagine how many doctors learned under him, and how many more lives get touched. So, so I like to think whether it's the board, the physician leaders, you know, staff that've been there a long time, or just you know the newbies, I and mean, they're all leaders, right? Hopefully, everybody once they realize they're in the room with people like that. You got to either bring your A game or listen carefully or else you, you shouldn't, you just can't stay. You just can't stay in that room. <laughs> it's not space for you, right? It's just not going to be comfortable. It's just not going to be. <laughs> it's not. I mean, and again, that that board has had folks that have been on there 30 plus years. Think about Jerry Ritter's there 40 years. It's awe-inspiring. Think of all the other
0: things he could be doing across 40 years if he weren't committed to the cause. Again, that's just humbling. It humbles me as a relatively new board member. You know, I've only been, I think on the board for like nine and a half years. So <laughs> relatively, relatively new, new at nine and a half years <laughs> relatively new. Okay. so now let's talk a little bit about because i'm'm I'm, I'm leveraging the brilliant people that I bring onto this show to help me further flush out the name of the podcast because whiskey jazz and leadership, on the surface does not fit. It doesn't make sense. But in my brain, it makes sense. And for me, you know, whiskey is about just doing what you enjoy, having fun, the uh, community aspect of being able to share openly, freely, more of who you are. Jazz is about the flexibility of being able to bring in and uh, bring in other experts. But adapt to whatever you are facing, irrespective of the plan that you might have. And leadership is just, I mean, every conversation I have since seems to have some sort of title leadership. But for me, every success and every failure begins and ends with leadership. But those three things don't seem to connect on the surface. How do those three things connect for you? in the work that you do. Why does this make sense to anyone other than me
1: and and maybe
0: my mom who thinks I'm brilliant?
1: I think it's perfect. I wouldn't change a thing. You know, I often reference just conversation, you know, to me, whiskey is, is something you sip, right? You're not drinking beer, you're, you're sipping a glass of whiskey and it just implies that you're sitting calmly and having a conversation to me. That's, that's the way I think of it. I love what you said about jazz, it's about improvisation and teamwork, right? Yeah, there's a roadmap, but that road changes. And so, how do people adapt? And um, you know, I'm never will be a brilliant listener of jazz because I'm not a musician, right? I don't understand the depth of music, and so I listen to it enjoyment for enjoyment and some technical ability, but I don't understand it to so the depth that other folks do. And I just think leadership's a lot like jazz, right? I mean, you walk in and you think there's a roadmap, but it's action reaction as soon as you're in the door, right? And we joke about that all the time at work. You know, folks are like trying to pre-interpret the outcome. And I'm like, sometimes you just what's the right action? It's good to do scenarios, but but if there is a right thing to do, then maybe we do that and wait for the reaction. And uh, you don't want to do it in a passive way, right? You still want to think ahead, but but you also can't overanalyze things. So I, you know, I just it resonates with me because it's about conversations and flexibility um, and innovation and um, You know, I never liked management books because I felt like they're just truisms. And that's why I love the dialogue that you have with these different folks, because it's a real insight into the nuance of how they applied something. I feel like that's a college course for free, basically. So, yeah, I I wouldn't change a thing. If anything, um, you got to make each session three hours because you got to have an hour for each.
0: Yeah, you know, I I tell you every time I get off I end up listening to each episode four and five times. You know, I'm part of the conversation, but I learn something new every every time I listen to one of our guests. And don't shortchange yourself on the jazz aspect because anyone who lists Miles Davis as one of their favorites has got my vote.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's
0: that's your that's your favorite, right? John Coltrane you know, and then you follow up John Coltrane with Monk. I mean, come on now. You're, you're playing with the right material.
1: I know. People know those folks. But you know what? When I was a kid, I saw a movie. I actually looked this up because I can remember the name of the movie called Rocket Gibraltar, I think was the name of this movie. Charlton Heston, I think was a lead actor. And I don't remember the movie really. But I do remember he was an elderly gentleman. He has grandkids running around and He was out on a sort of a beach side. And he was sitting there consciously listening to Billie Holiday, Lady Day. And I was a young kid, man. I was young. But when I heard that, my brother listened to a lot of blues and so and I That just crossed me over. And as soon as I heard that, even as a young kid, I was like, there's a lot there. So my real entry point was Billy Holiday from some silly movie that I don't even remember the details of, but I remember the music. Yeah, music has been just so important to me as a human being, especially as a young kid. I say it saved my life at multiple different points when I was really trying to find my way. So yeah, jazz. Uh, like I said, I listen to it and enjoy it, but I couldn't tell you if they changed keys or or you know the chord progressions were a nuance or a reference back to some. I just that's not me. But when monks noodling around and kind of finding the groove with with Coltrane, I just get it just enough.
0: You know, I'll tell you. Uh, you know, I, I don't know that I understand all the intricacies, but I I know what I like. Same thing with bourbon and with whiskey. You know, there there are a lot. Uh, of people that are a whole lot smarter than I am about whiskey. I just know what I like. <laughs> and for me, that's enough. And uh, you know, one of the things that you shared with me is that you got this fondness from Miles Davis, but in particular, Miles Davis's collaborations with Gil Evans and That strikes a chord with me because I picked up on that collaboration about a year and a half ago. And I just noticed that there were some of his work, there were some of Miles Davis's work that I really, really liked. And then there were some that just felt different. I couldn't put my finger on that difference, but I could recognize the difference. And come to find out that difference was the work that he did with Gil Evans. And it was just amazing to me how I had never heard of Gil Evans, but I recognized that there was something different in the music, and he just happened to be involved. How does that compare to like leadership situations and leadership organizations that you might lead, or you might have people who might not be out front? No one may even know that they are around other than the people (laughs) who are counting on them. Because things just work better when they're around. What is that? And how does that, how does that factor into the work that you do?
1: I just, I love that question. You know, my very first mentors, Tim Fitzgerald, Marine, and Ed Siler. Ed Siler was, they call him the hospital director. He's the president of the hospital. Tim Fitzgerald is uh, associate administrator. He's the chief of staff, right? Classic number two. And he's a Marine in a veterans hospital. So he gets it, right? I mean, he's there. For every he's still serving, right? He's still serving his his uh, compatriots and peers. So, so I've sought that out in my own career. Um, I'm not naturally necessarily the person in the top seat myself. You know, I often joke. I think I'm still probably a better number two than than ever sitting in the sort of the, the president seat. But one of my favorite ones, I'll just call him out. Was Pedro Faro. You know, he's my CFO. Brilliant CFO was among the brightest minds in children's healthcare. Uh, he was a cfo he didn't he wanted to be you know in the books and he but that man had a better strategic brain understood the depths and inner workings of how the money flowed in children's healthcare and how to turn that into more services and without pedro fado i don't become half the children's hospital leader that, that i have a chance of becoming and there's lots of those you know i'm calling him out because he's just what a great human being he is and um, true brilliant leader but but exactly who you said he's he's gil evans in that scenario i am not miles davis (laughs) i happened to be asked to come in and try and help turn a place around um and that man had a depth of understanding of what children's healthcare was that was the entire toolbox that any leader would have needed to have a chance of doing it because it was it was a really tough situation so it was a great gift to get to work with him it's great gift to watch tim fitzgerald Help people have the right meetings with Ed Siler. In my very first job, I watched the chief of staff save people's lives before they went in that room to ask for stuff. So I saw that teamwork, right? Like you're describing, like yeah. and that produced an outcome to a different scale. Ed Siler without Tim Fitzgerald is different. You know, he's still a successful executive, but he's, but he's different, and just like I would have been much different without Pedro. Wow, you you are listing a lot of people
0: who. Uh, I can just tell from the sound of your voice how much they've meant to you. Talk a little bit about the importance of mentors, and you know, I, I uh, have I even borrow lavishly from the book Thinking or Rich when I talk about your invisible board of directors. But just talk a little bit about how important is it for leaders to have mentors to have a invisible board of directors if not even a, a visible board of directors to help make uh, some of the decisions that that you have to make when things really really matter
1: well i think yeah you got to find people with courage a lot of courage is born out of experience so i think when you're young especially like you think you think you know stuff or you can do things but then when you realize that it's actually you can only have that level of confidence and accuracy from experience Israel Alperes was a physician, triple boarded doctor, right? And one of my first bosses and to watch him so brilliant, bring people along with him on an idea with a sense of humor and, and again, genius, right? Three different boards. He's a physician who's been boarded in three different specialties, the patients that he demonstrated and the guile, quite frankly, politically that he could manage uh, with either a room or a one-on-one conversation um, was so powerful. I think that invisible board is huge. I think whether you just harken back to what would they do, right? What would this person do in that moment? Or you actually tangibly call them or you go read, right? Like you said, if you're pulling stuff out of different books that really changed your approach, then maybe just cycling back to that. I I just don't think you can be as effective if you don't try and sustain a perspective that's bigger than your own. And often that only comes from a personal conversation.
0: Uh, Okay. So I I, I love quotes. So I want to share this quote with you and get your reaction because I, I sense these words throughout a lot of our conversation so far. And these are the words of Lao Tzu. And he said, a leader is best when people barely know he exists. When his work is done,
1: his aim fulfilled, they will say, we did it ourselves. Yeah, it's amazing. When, uh, so I was a consultant, right? I was an internal consultant. Our entire goal was to get the senior executive of the organization to run the meeting and for nobody to know that we had coached and prepped and offered in you know detail and insight into who was doing what right and wrong and behind the scenes, whatever. Right. I mean, we used to joke our entire livelihood was based off of A, the quality of the presentation we prepared and B, how well that individual gave it. And we only knew we'd done it well if they didn't know we were there. Right. It's kind of that a little bit of that same idea. So it's hard. I gotta be honest, you know, um, You harken back to a little bit earlier about the title means something and there are ways that the title means something but um how you express that influence but but have it be seamless and and uh relatively invisible hopefully very invisible is um a tough balance i think and it's fun to watch different people just everybody does it so different right and speaking about jazz again right i mean nobody plays that horn the same way right miles davis doesn't play like anybody else Nobody plays piano like that. Are you kidding me? Like, what is he doing? I don't play piano, and I can tell you, I'm like, what well, on earth is that man doing? But it comes up with something new that that is still a melody, and it's still that same standard, maybe right, but it's it's meaningfully different that it's worth listening to that version. So whether it's yeah, listen to that invisible board, or or uh, like you said, just trying to almost disappear into the organization and let others lead, I think you get those lessons from from all of those different kind of examples. And hopefully again, it's, I've been doing this. It feels like I've been doing it a long time now, but I'm just maybe learning what I should be doing.
0: Yeah. Well, it's been a while since I've quoted Miles Davis, but you, again, you're just reminding me of all these great, great lines. And one of the things that he said that I've, I really, really think about a lot is he said, sometimes it takes a long time to learn how to play like yourself because You know, you have a tendency once you're, when you're getting started to try to be just like that person that you see. And it takes a while to realize, (laughs) I just need to show up in my own jacket. (laughs) I got to show up in my own pair of pants and that's enough. And usually that's more than enough. Man, I'll tell you, this has been an incredible conversation. I am so glad that you yielded to my bugging you. Because I was relentless. I was relentless because I knew just from watching you move, I knew that you would have so much to bring and you did not disappoint. Any final words you'd you'd like to share with our listeners about just what you've learned, your experience, uh, how this relates to this podcast with a funny name? Uh, any, Any final thoughts?
1: I'll give props to what you're doing. And I think that uh, I, again, I don't love the standard business books and I wouldn't traditionally even listen to a business podcast. I think you have, by finding yourself and your expression, you've created something that is worthy of hearing about a subject that most folks would think is old hand now, right? There's thousands of leadership books and there's thousands. So for you to find a new lens and a a new way of uh, presenting information I feel is powerful and helpful. So, I mean, my reluctance is born out of just the quality of people you've had. Again, just to understand who you are. I mean, you came and spoke to our group now. It was within about my first year at and I think it was. And um, it was a subject that wasn't even core to what you naturally were doing, right? I mean, you're a business strategist and an executive coach, and you came and talked to our group about um, really, I think it was diversity-related primarily, and you just knocked it out of the park. And I just thought... Um, This guy brings it, you know, he brings it and you've done it here too. So for me personally, I'm grateful. You know, I feel like clearly what you've got from these other folks is powerful. I don't know what nugget somebody might get out of this one, but I hope there's something there for them and that it adds in some way to what you're doing. There's plenty. There's plenty
0: here. So thank you. Thank you. Raise your glass because uh, this has been incredible and uh, wish you nothing but the best. Thank you so much. Cheers. Cheers.
1: Thanks,
0: Kayla. Hey, it's not too late. Hit that subscribe button so you're sure to catch the next episode. If you're really enjoying the vibe, leave us a review or become a VIP for guests and show exclusives. Cheers.